Today we're going to talk, uh, the, the title of today's message is Thy Will Be Done. And uh, this is a word God has been giving me for a few months now. And uh, I was in the process of praying uh, one day down in the prayer room. And I was just praying for the needs of our church. If you haven't noticed, like our church people seem to be under attack over and over and over and over. And uh, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it's going to continue to happen. But I was down there praying, and the Lord began to to speak a scripture to me that just... There was a revelation He gave me on a scripture I've never seen. You guys may have had, but it uh, it's just been a word that I've been getting over and over. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I was spending some time with uh, Pastor Jeremiah, and we were talking about this very thing that we're going to talk about today. And... And uh, just the way the scripture was going with it, and and the next morning he gets up and he watches a, a pastor down in in uh, Georgia, and he's using exact same scriptures in exact same way with the exact same revelation I was getting, and he shared that with me, and I thought, you know what, maybe I'm supposed to share that, right? So even I'm not so uh, so dense that I can't figure something out sometimes. So. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 26, starting out. We're going to be all over, uh, but Matthew 26, verse 36 is where we'll start. And uh, we got we don't have a long way to go in this message, but we're going to take a long time to get there. right? Kind of like the Israelites, you know, they wandered around in the desert for 40 years to make an 11-day journey. It's kind of how we're going to do with this message. We don't have too far to go, but it's going to take a little bit. So, Matthew 26, verse 36 says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with Me. And going a little farther, He fell on His face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that you would speak to us today, Father God. You would open our hearts to receive the word that you have for us, Lord. Father God, help me to get out of your way so you can speak. Let this word be from you and not from me. Let, Lord, let your Holy Spirit move and let each of us be transformed by what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a few things stuck out to me, and we're not going to stay in Matthew very long. We're actually going to come back to it in a little bit, but a few things stuck out to me in this is... uh First off, if you're, like, I don't have the opportunity, but if I was ever in the opportunity for Jesus to say, hey, come a little farther with me, let's pray together, you guys be watching with me. And that word watch there actually means to be alert. Be watchful with me. So Jesus just told him, I am sorrowful, and even on to the point of death, like I'm almost so sorrowful I'm going to die here. And then he asked him to be alert with him. I'm going to tell you what, in that situation, you should probably stay alert, right? Now, I don't blame 
Peter, because I wasn't there. I, it was late. You, if you've been around me and it's after about 9, 30, 10 o'clock, I'm probably going to fall asleep too, and this is probably around midnight. So I'm not too mad at him, but here's Jesus saying, stay alert and pray. Right? Very interesting things for him to say to him, but then he comes back after he prayed for God's will to be done in his life, right? He comes back and he says, so could you not watch with me for one hour? Right? Could you not watch? And we're called to be watchful people. And so I read that and it hits me like, man, am I, am I watchful? Can I even watch for an hour? Then he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And I've never caught that part in my whole time studying this. Watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. And so I had to ask the Lord, what is this temptation, right? What was the temptation he could enter into? Now, you could say, well, he's about to deny him three times, but that wasn't the temptation because Jesus already said that would happen. So he couldn't watch and pray. And once Jesus spoke it, it was already a truth that was going to happen, right? So we're going to look into this temptation. What is this temptation that, that Jesus is talking about? And if we want to go to Second Chronicles 7, we're going to be in verse 11. And Second uh, Chronicles 7, you see it all over America. You see it everywhere right now. You see this, uh, if my people would humble themselves and pray, right? And you see this whole Scripture, but I think oftentimes the Scripture is taken out of context. And... Uh, so today we want to we want to look at Second Chronicles seven, starting verse eleven, and reading, uh, hopefully figuring out what it's actually trying to tell us. Right? It says thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord in the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. So he had the blueprints to build the temple. David wasn't allowed to do it because he was a man of war. God wanted a man of peace to come and build the temple. Solomon built the temple, and he was praying that God would receive it, right? Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people... I want you to pay attention to what he said there. He says, when I do these things, right? Sometimes God's going to cause things and sometimes he's going to allow things to get our attention, to get us to turn towards him, right? We like the idea of Satan's attacking, Satan's attacking, Satan's attacking. Lord, take away the attack, but sometimes those things are there to get our attention, to remind us to turn to God, right? Sometimes God has to allow those things to happen for our good, right? But then he goes on and he said, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, if you are a Christian, if you are saved, and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a people called by His name because you are a Christian. Right? 
But oftentimes we look at all the mess of this world. We look at everything going on, even in our own lives. It don't even have to be the whole world. But And we always ask God to change something. Like I can look at our world right now and I can say, man, if, if our politicians weren't such idiots, they'd be, we'd be all right. right. Or I could say, man, like all these people with their addictions and stuff are ruining things. Or I can sit back and I can say like, man, if other people would just come to church, things may be different. You know what? None of those are very humble statements. Those are actually kind of a cocky statement. They're kind of self-centered as in, I've got it made. right? But what, God, what God's telling him here is, my people would humble themselves. Not point out the flaws of others or point out what everybody else is doing wrong. But what if we actually humble ourselves? We come to the Lord and realize, hey, I need you. Lord, we need what you're doing. What if we let go of what we thought was wrong and we just go to God and say, I am the problem. Lord, I am humble, right? And he said, if they, my, people called by my name humble themselves and pray. I think a lot of us pray, but do we humble ourselves before we pray? And I, I'll give you an example of how that may look. So you may be coming to the Lord and your life has fallen apart and you come to the Lord and you say, God, take this all away from me. I can't handle it, Lord. Just take it away. Or you're going through something and say, Lord, why would you not heal me? I'm doing all this stuff. Why are you not healing me? Why are you not doing this, Lord? Everything I'm doing is this. And the... But if you're being humble, you go to Him and say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. Father God, there's so much going on, and on my own I can't do it, but Father God, just be with me. Lord, show me what you're doing in this. Lord, speak to me in this, Father God. I don't understand your plan, but I want to be a part of it. One of those is more humble than the other. When you make it more about what God's doing and less about yourself, that's humility, right? Now, that doesn't mean you go into prayer and you start blaming yourself for everything going on either. That would be a false humility. The humility is you let go of it and then turn it over to God. Right? Then he says, and seek my face. And I find that very interesting also because I think a lot of times we pray and we never even seek God in it. We're just asking for a, a, a little genie in a bottle to come answer our, our three wishes and then move on. Lord, fix this stuff and then we'll get on about the day. But what if we say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I want you, Lord. I don't care what you put me through, God. All I need is you. Right? What if we actually did that? And then they turn from their wicked ways. I find that interesting. Turning from your wicked ways wasn't even the first thing he said. Because if they could have turned from their wicked ways, they probably would have done it before they humbled themselves. Right? But they had to humble themselves, they had to pray, and they had to seek God, and then they had the strength and the ability to finally turn from what they were doing. They had an ability to start living for Him. Couldn't do it on their own. Then He said, And I will hear you from heaven, and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. There's a problem with people not being healed of sins here. 
and there's a problem with our land not being healed, it's not the people outside of this wall that are the problem. It's God's people. Because He says, if my people... He did not say, if the country changes. If the sinner changes. He said, if my people would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Right? What if? What if everybody who called themselves Christians in America were willing to do this? And I'll actually make it even easier for you. What if you were willing to do this? How much would it change your life? Right? How much? All right. Now we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 6. I'm going to try to get through these scriptures. I got a lot of scriptures. I, I'm a little different than Pastor Chad. He has such a good memory. Like he retains everything. I need scripture to remind me of stuff. And uh, so I'm a little different. So we're going to have a lot of scripture here, but we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 6 here. And uh, I want you to understand, and I know Pastor Chad's talked on this very thing here and probably with many of you guys. I want you to understand we don't need the temple of Solomon. But we still need a temple, right? And 2 Corinthians 6, 16 says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? So therefore, there's no reason for any kind of idol, right? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And Pastor Chad has talked about this in... in recent days and especially in any kind of one-on-one meetings with people, the fact that we as a whole are the temple of God. Right? Later on in First Corinthians and Second Corinthians, you also see where it says that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit dwells within us, but the temple of God is His people. We are the body of Christ. Right? And the body of Christ makes up the temple of God because when Jesus dwelled here, He was the very temple of God. And then His body becomes the temple of God, right? So us together are the place He wants to dwell. We need to be together. You'll never do this on your own. Ever. You cannot make it on your own. Later on in that scripture, it says, Therefore, go out from the, their midst and be separated from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And here's this whole thing again, to repent, to turn, to seek the Lord, right? And we'll become His. And uh, I look at these scriptures and I look at like... Uh, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them. But I love that scripture, and we often will point out, like, hey, if we would just pray, everything would be good. You know, God would stop all this uh, persecution coming amongst us. God would take away all this these issues I have. You know, and if if I could just get to this point, everything has to get easier. And. uh I've shared this with people lately, but it's there. I heard this uh, story from uh, Francis Chan uh, about a month ago or longer, and he was telling a story about being in South Korea. And he was over in South Korea, and there was he was meeting with some pastors there, and uh, one of the pastors was part of the group that was taken hostage in China and, and being persecuted for their belief, 
right? And they, uh, I mean, they, they smuggled in a Bible. A lady smuggled one in. They ripped it up. Each one of them kept part of the Bible so they can read the Bible and just stay close to the Lord and draw close to the Lord. And, and, uh, all of them were willing to, to suffer for each other. And one of the ministers comes up and he says, look, guys, I'm a minister of the Lord. If they're going to kill anybody, they have to kill me first. Nobody's dying before me. And then this other guy comes up and he says, yes, but I'm the pastor of the church. I'm going first. I'm giving my life for this church. I'm the shepherd of these people. I'm the one. And then this other guy comes up and he says, I'm older than all of you. I've been pastoring longer than all of you. And it is my right to die before any of you. Right? All of them were willing to give themselves for one another. And that pastor did die there. And the people began to get persecuted over and over and over. And all they had was their ability to rely on the Lord. That is all they had. And they end up getting freed. And they get sent back to South Korea and they're living their lives and they're, they're praying. And, and Francis Chan asked the pastor, he said, Pastor, what is the greatest thing you take away from your time in China? And I'm probably butchering this story a little bit because I wasn't there, but I'm trying to paraphrase how he said it. And the pastor said, I will tell you what I've learned. He said, from everybody who was over, just about every one of them has come up to me since coming back home and wishing they were back over there under persecution because they'd never been closer to God than they were in those moments. And he said, my, my, I, and I myself feel the same way. I've never been closer to God than when I was persecuted. Right? And we're always trying to get everything to be great in our lives, but God has to sometimes allow us to go through something to even focus on Him. It is the mercy of God to to try to get our attention because we will do anything and everything but follow Him at times unless something breaks our attention, right? So I, I want us to remember that, right? Not that not that God's doing it to punish you. He's doing it for your good to try to remind you of who He is. To remind you there's no better place to be than in His presence. Those people who had it good when they got back to South Korea, they had their normal lives back and everything, and it did not compare to the time that they were dependent on God fully. Right. So we're going to Matthew 6. And... uh Verse 5, and uh, like I said, the title of this message is Thy Will Be Done. And I wish Margie was here because she heard this same word the same time I heard this word. And uh, Matthew 6, verse 5 says, And when you pray, you must, you must not be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. I say to you, they have received their reward. And some people can do that. Some people are really good at praying when other people are around. Some people are really good at like these beautiful sayings and prayings. And people are like, wow, that one there is good. That one there is, man, if I could pray like that, right? And some people like that. They like the attention when they're praying. But he's saying don't be like that. Those people already got their attention. They've already received what they wanted to receive, and that was noticed from other people, right? So our prayers should not be 
just so people think I'm good. You know, we shouldn't be praying for anybody to see us. But he goes on and he says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now this doesn't mean you can't have corporate prayer, right? Thursday nights we meet together and we pray, we intercede for the church. And I promise you, there's nobody on that in that prayer group that's ever praying elegantly to try to get attention. We're praying for needs. We're praying for the body. We're praying for one another. We're praying for God to just move mightily here, right? But, but even that ain't enough. We need our own walk. Ooh. We need our own walk. We need to be... We need to be praying on our own. We need to be seeking the Lord on our own for our own life. Right? Then he says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And uh, I don't know if you guys are this way, but I've been this way in my life, and the uh, Lord actually had to correct me for it. And If you ever knew you had to pray and you just start praying phrases you've always prayed and you didn't really stop to seek the Lord in it, but you're just praying because... That's what we do. We pray. Right? Kind of like if you sit down for a meal, and as you're, <coughs> as you're sitting down for the meal, you know, oh yeah, we got to pray for this food. So you say the same prayer you've always said. And the Lord's like, that's a lot of empty words you're praying to me. Right? But do we ever recognize who we're actually praying to? Do we mean what we're praying? Is it actually coming from our heart or is it just empty words for us to say something to God to say we prayed? Right? Then he says, do not be like those. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So pray like this. And I want to remind you, it says pray like this, not to pray this. He's just giving us an example of how we should be praying, right? It says, our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. And that, that word there actually means to be fully set apart as your name. Right? That doesn't mean you're like special over here. No, that means I am separating you from all others. You're above all in my life. You are holy. You are worthy. There's none like you, Father. Right? And we are recognizing who we are praying to. Then he says, your kingdom come. And I'll tell you what, we all want that kingdom, right? It's right here. And then he says, this is one of my favorite parts, thy will be done. How many times have we prayed this and not really wanted thy will to be done? Right? Your will be done, God. And uh, I remember when Mike Harris was going to get his last brain surgery. And we're sitting in prayer group, and I know Keeve knows where I'm going with this one because he was there. And we're sitting in prayer group, and we're asking Mike. He's going the very next day to get his surgery. We say, Mike, how can we pray for you? And I'm sitting here waiting for Mike to say, just pray for healing, that God would take this from me, right? That's what I'm waiting. But Mike said, you know, I've been reading Matthew 26 when Jesus is in Garden of Gethsemane. And he prays, Father, take this cup away from me, but not my will, your will be done. And Mike began to pray, God, if you want to heal me, heal me. 
But if you don't want to heal me, your will be done. Do what you need to do through me. And that was the boldest prayer I've ever heard in my life. Because all I wanted to pray in that moment was for Mike to be healed. I didn't want to pray for God's will to be done. I began praying for God's will to be done in Mike's life only because he told me to. But my prayer was, God, heal him and heal him now. Let him not go through this. Right? Which is often my prayer for people is, God, I don't want your will done. Do it the way we want it done. Right? Now, don't get me wrong. We still petition God like Keith prayed earlier for Mike. God, we want him healed. Our plan is for him to be healed, but your will be done. Right? Jesus prayed, Father, God, take this cup from me, but if not, your will be done. And he meant it. Right? So when we pray that your will be done, we should actually mean that. It shouldn't be an empty word of God, your will be done as long as it ain't that hard. Am I the only one who ever prayed that? Father God, do whatever you need to do in my life as long as I don't have to suffer. I've prayed it. I've had to repent for praying it. God, I don't want to go through anything too hard, but whatever's needed, do it as long as it ain't that hard. Right? And, uh, and sometimes we don't, we won't even voice it, but he already said he already knows our heart and we may mean it. But we need to get our hearts on, on board with God, whatever it's going to do, we want to be a part of it. Right? says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And I like that part there, that give us this day our daily bread, because he's not saying, Father God, bless the things I'm going to do. He ain't saying that. God, provide for me today. And you, you notice he didn't say, Lord, heap all these blessings upon me, Lord, so I don't ever have to think about tomorrow. He's saying, provide for me today with the concept that tomorrow I'm going to pray and ask you to provide for me tomorrow too. Right? He's not asking for multiple blessings forever. He's saying, Lord, provide for today. Lord, provide for today. Lord, provide for today. Then he says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We've heard that preached many a times and we need to do that. If God's going to forgive us of our sins, we have to forgive everybody else. Very important one. If you need to know more about that, go see Pastor Jeremiah's first message he did at Freedom Ministries. Right? I think it was the first one. Awesome message. And lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. That one hits me. It's the same thing that he told Peter. Be watchful and pray that you may not be led into temptation. Some of you guys may say, so you're not led into evil schemes or you'll be delivered from the evil one. It's all the same thing. Temptations are evil schemes. And deliver us from evil. Right? So I'm trying to figure these things out. and Then I go to Luke 11 which is almost the same kind of prayer. And this is in verse 1, but it's almost the same kind of prayer, but it's a little different. Which tells me that we don't just pray that exact prayer. He's trying to give us an idea of how we should pray. Right? So in Luke 11, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And we all know Jesus loved to pray. 
praying in a certain place, right? We see praying in the wilderness. We see Jesus was praying in the garden. We see Jesus was, he drew away and prayed. Jesus was alone and he prayed. Jesus took the disciples and he prayed. And over and over we see where Jesus was praying. And, I, and when I know that Jesus is praying and it says he got away often to pray, that tells me I probably should get away even more often to pray because I'm not Jesus. Right? If he has to do it, I should be doing it way more than I am. And I'm telling you, this message is for me as much as anybody, but I need to get better at this praying. I need to get in a certain place and start praying. And it said, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. I'm going to read that one more time, and I want you to listen to the wording. Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. They did not ask Jesus how to pray. Back at the Mount of Olives, or uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught them how to pray. They're not asking him to teach them how to pray. They're asking, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. They saw something different in what he was doing, and they realized we need to learn to pray. Not how to pray. Learn to pray. We all know how to pray. And I've had people over the years say, I don't know how to pray. So you know how to pray because you talk every day. Right? You get better at praying by, by praying. That's the old thing. If you want to know how to pray better, pray. Just pray. You'll get better at it. You'll learn. You know how to have a conversation with people. Have a conversation with Jesus. Right? Conversation is a two-way street. You got to listen as much as you're talking. And actually, Scripture says to listen more than you talk. But they asked, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Again, he's saying, point it out. Make sure you're reminding who you're talking to. Be cognizant of it. Remember, you're praying to the most holy God. And be thanking of Him. No empty prayers. So be focusing on God. And your kingdom come, Lord. Whatever is good for your kingdom, I want it, right? Give us each day our provisions, Lord. Our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we ought to forgive one another. Right? And that's only part of what He said before, but He does say this again. And lead us not into temptation. And... uh that whole lead us not into temptation just keeps hitting me every time I read it. What is this temptation he keeps talking about? Right? A lot of times we think it's just a temptation to, Lord, I, I've been struggling with this, Lord. Help me not to struggle with this anymore. Lord, I, 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 I've got this addiction. Lord, help me not struggle with that anymore. And that's not a bad prayer. But as we learn on Sunday night, those aren't our problems. Those are the symptoms of our problem. There's some temptation that we need to be trying not to be led into that's going to keep us from all these other symptoms. Right? There's something else there. There has to be because he keeps saying it. And he even said it to Peter who wasn't didn't seem to be struggling with sexual immorality. He didn't seem to be struggling with addiction. He didn't be, seem to be struggling with the things we would call sin today. Is that true? 
Would you agree with that? He probably seemed a whole lot holier than the rest of us. He was walking daily with Jesus. Whatever Jesus told him to do, he did it. He not only did he do it, he went the extra step and overdid it. Right? So there's something that he that is going on that we have to pay attention to, right? So Matthew 16. I told you there's a long way to go to get to a short place. Matthew 16, verse 21 is where we're going to be. And I, I like this first sentence I'm going to read here because I never noticed it and I still don't understand it. But I'm going to read it. From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. He didn't begin to tell them. He began to show them that He needed to do this. I don't know how He began to show them. But He began to make it very evident that this had to happen. Right? Because many of us have sat in a place and been told something, been lectured something, but whenever you were shown, a light goes off. You're like, oh, that's what He means. So here's Jesus. He's actually beginning to show them what has to happen. That sounds a little bit more in-depth than just telling me. Right? And Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord... This shall never happen to you. This goes back to whenever I was talking about in the Garden of Gethsemane. Whenever Jesus has got something going on, you probably don't want to stand against it. Right? Lord, I know what you're saying, but it ain't ever going to happen to you. Right? And I will tell you what, if I'm in that room and Jesus is like, yeah, they're about to kill me, I'm going to die and I'm going to raise in three days. I'd stand up and be like, I'll kill all of them. They ain't touching you, Jesus. I've been ready to fight right beside them. And I, and I say that only because how many times have we been enraged just when somebody tries to change something in our lives? Right? And this is Jesus. Right? This is one we should be loving even more than you do your child. Kind of like whenever somebody says something about your child, like, your child's in danger, you jump up like a badger and you're ready to kill everybody around your child. That's the way he would have felt about Jesus. Ain't nobody touching my Jesus. And we get that way even now. Whenever somebody wants to say something about Jesus, we're ready to cut their head off. We're ready to kick them right in the chest, right? Hey, you you ain't talking bad about Jesus. Right? So I can't fault him for saying this ain't going to happen because I would have done the same thing. Right, But he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I don't ever want to hear that from Jesus. There's times I wish I heard that from Jesus, but I don't want to hear it. There are times I know I'm against what Jesus has to do. There are times I know I'm standing right in His way and I'm doing everything to stop Him from doing what's going to need to happen. Right? You are a hindrance to me. How would you like to hear that? And I want to let you know, this is Matthew 16, where we get the great verse of Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? And he said, you are the Messiah. 
And Jesus says, you answer correctly and upon this rock I will build my church. Happened right before this. And could you imagine how puffed out his chest had to be in that moment? You're correct, Peter, and upon that I'm going to build my church. It'll be the foundations. And we know later on, Peter is the one who begins to build the church. God uses him to begin to set the stones for the church. Right? He preaches the first message of repentance that we know of after Jesus' death. He's the one. But in this moment, he went from, oh yeah, right there, that's the, that's the rock right there. That's what I'm going to build my church upon. And then he tells him how it's going to happen and it shows him how it's going to happen. He's like, nope, not going to happen that way. And he says, hey, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me now. And am I the only one that's ever had like a really spiritual high? Like I go out and I know I did something. God's like, oh, that was good. Right there, that's what... And then the next moment, I'm right in His way again. Am I the only one that ever had that happen? You're like, oh man, I'm an idiot. I just got it right, now I'm an idiot. Like, I've had it within a matter of an hour probably. Maybe quicker. But like, how did I go from standing on that rock to stupidity it's so quickly, Right? For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Right there it is. That's the problem we have. Peter wasn't setting his mind on the things of God. He was setting his mind on the things of man. I would say that is the greatest temptation of man. For our will to be done for things to work out the way we want them to work out, for things to be our way, right? I could be wrong, but I would say that's one of our biggest struggles. I don't like the way that looks, Lord. It needs to change, right? Lord, I don't want my family to have to go through this. I don't care what you're doing, just don't do it, right? It would have been okay if Peter said, Lord... I don't want you to have to go through this. Whatever it takes, I'm a part of it, but, but Lord, I don't want to see it. If it is possible, do not do this. That's a different kind of prayer than, Lord, that'll never happen. Right? It's a big difference. Lord, I don't like the, the idea of this, but I'll be a part of it. Right? That's what he should have been saying. But instead, because he had a way he wanted things to be, That's what his prayer was. That's what his declaration was. That's where his heart was. His heart wasn't on the things of God. His heart was on the things of Him. Right? He was walking in the flesh. So we're going to go back to Matthew 26, verse 36. And I want to read this in the Amplified. And uh, I want you to think about it in the way I was just saying that what if Peter shows up in the garden and he's thinking more about his plan than Jesus' plan? If he's focused more on his flesh than he is on the things of God, right? 
says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And He told His disciples, Sit down here while I go over yonder and pray. That's a great word, yonder. It's a great word. And taking with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, He began to show grief and distress of mind and was deeply depressed. Then He said to them, My soul is very sad and deeply grieved. so that I am almost dying of sorrow. Like we get a translation and we don't always understand the words. But he's telling him, I'm about to die just of the pain and the ache and the sorrow I'm feeling from what's about to happen. And I want you to think about that. How many times has somebody come to you so broken and your mind can't even fathom their brokenness. Instead, you're trying to figure out how to fix it. Are you trying to figure out what's next? Or your mind's focused on anything other than what, what's going on, right? Our minds do that. We're not always, we're not always paying attention, right? So here he is, and he even tells them, guys, it's so bad. I just, I'm almost dying of sorrow. And he said, stay here and keep awake and keep watch with me. And we know through Scripture we're to be the watchmen. We're supposed to be keeping watch, right? And if we're supposed to be keeping watch with Jesus and we're looking around at everything in our nation, how are we responding? Do we just point out that there's problems? Do we just point out that something's not working? Do we do we hope somebody will fix it? Do we go to Pastor Chad and say, Pastor Chad, somebody's got to do something. This place is all jacked up. Right? Do you sit back and be like, man, why are our leaders in the church not doing something to try to fix this community? Right? What do we do? What do we do whenever we start noticing there's issues? Something don't look right here. Right? And obviously they should have been saying something ain't right with Jesus. This is a different Jesus than usual. The guy who's always got the answers. The guy who's always fixing other people, healing people. The guy who knows the plan of God in a way that's been beautiful. It should have been a red red flag real quick. Something's wrong. Right? And going a little further, he threw himself upon the ground on his face praying, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, not that, not what I will, not what I desire, but as you will and desire. So here he is, he's saying, look, this is messed up. Lord, I don't want this anymore. But Lord, not what I will. But whatever you want, Lord, I'll do it. Right? And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, What? Are you so utterly unable to stay awake and keep watch with me for one hour? For one hour. And I ask if we fall asleep often, instead of paying attention to what's going on and staying alert and staying awake and praying, how often are we praying about what's going on Are we praying, hey, God, stop this? Hey, God, put somebody out there to fix this? Are we actually on our face praying, Father God, Your will be done in this nation? 
Father God, something's wrong and I don't understand it, but Lord, we need Your will here. We need You, Father God. I don't know what to do, but I am humbling myself. I am praying, Lord. We are seeking You, Father God. We need You in this nation. Or maybe it ain't even just our nation. You're saying, Father God, something is going on in my house. I don't know what it is, Lord. I can't fix it, but I need You, Father God. I turn it over to You, Lord. I want Your will in my house, Lord. I seek You, Father God. Have Your way in my house. Maybe it's in your life. Maybe your life, just you're sitting back and you're like, what's wrong with my life? Same thing. Can we humble ourselves? Say, Father God, something's wrong. Lord, I notice it. I see it. I'm, I'm alert. You've, you've showed me what's wrong. And I'm going to seek you. Lord, I'm humbling myself. I can't do this. Right? And you pray and you seek. And you turn from the things you were doing and the things you were probably doing was focusing on the man instead of God. Focusing on your flesh instead of Him. That's where we go wrong. Every single time we go wrong, it's because we're focusing more on ourselves than we are on God. Right? It says, all of you must keep awake. Which is said, give strict attention, be cautious and active. Right? Being awake doesn't mean just sitting around daydreaming. It's an active state. Right? The very word means to be, give strict attention, be cautious and active. Are we awake? Right? And watch and pray that you may not come into temptation. There it is again. Watch and pray. Peter was often coming into the temptation to go against Jesus' will. God's will. Just like we are. But, We are to watch and pray that we wouldn't. Lord, don't let me get out of Your will. Lord, don't get me out of Your plan. Father God, let me be a part of what You're doing, Lord. I have all these other things that distract me, God, but I want Your plan. Father God, let me not get out of this, Lord. Let me not stop focusing on who You are. Right? And the world's always trying to get us out of that. It says, The Spirit indeed is willing, but your flesh is weak. The Holy Spirit, if you are saved, is inside of you. And He knows the things of the Lord. He is willing to take you where you need to go. He's willing to guide you. He's willing to help you be part of God's will. But your flesh is what's holding you back. Right? Then it said again, He went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass by unless I drink it, Your will be done. And again, He came and found them sleeping for, for their eyes were weighed down with sleep. So leaving them again, He just left them asleep. He went away and prayed for the third time using the same words. Then He returned to His disciples and He said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Now I'm going to tell you, I think God has given us many times in this nation, in our lives, in our church, in our homes, Many times to try to wake us up and gave us many times to get awake and alert. But there's going to come a time He's going to show up and He said, are you still sleeping? Are you still taking a rest? What are you doing? What's going on here? Right? There's going to come a time when that hour's up. Right? 
and says, Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of especially wicked sinners whose ways and nature is to act in opposition of God. So now he's getting turned into, turned over to people whose opposition is opposite of God. And it says, Get up, let us go and see my betrayer is at hand. Right? Then you go down and it said, And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Hell, this is in verse 49, Hell, greetings, good health to you, long life to you, Master. And he embraced him and kissed him and pretending warmth warmth and devotion. And Jesus said to him, Friend, for what are you here? Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. And then behold, one of those who were with Jesus, and we know it was Peter, reached out his hand and drew his sword and striking the body the the body servant of the high priest cut off his ear and Jesus said to him put away your sword put it back in its place for all who draw the sword will die by the sword do you suppose that I cannot appeal to my father and he would immediately provide me more than 12 legions of angels how would the scriptures be fulfilled and in that moment he heals the man and he goes forth with it. But here's Peter standing against the very thing Jesus was praying to turn over to God in that moment. And I ask you, what if Peter stayed away for one hour? What if he stayed awake and he prayed, Lord, show me your will. Lord, show me what you're doing. Lord, let me be a part of what you're doing here. Father God, just show me, Father God, why is my, my Jesus struggling? Why is he so sorrowful? What if he stayed awake? Do you think he would have tried to stop that plan? Do you think he would have had to go run and hide? He hid for a long time till Jesus come back. He was in hiding. He was scared. He didn't know what to do because all he knew was his fleshly ways. He only knew how to act like a man. And I think sometimes when stuff gets hard, we've not been praying, we've not been seeking the Lord, we're not turning it over to Him, we're not seeking His will, and when something hard comes, we sink right back into our old man. We go right back to where we were. Because we're not seeking for Thy will to be done. I think the greatest temptation right now in the church is that we're not seeking the Father's will. We're not praying. We're not even humbling ourselves because we want our will to be done. Right? I'm going to ask you a couple questions. And Ryan, you can come up here. I'm going to ask you a couple questions and then I'm going to share a story with you. And uh, I want to ask, where do our plans come from? The plans for your life, where do you actually get them? Is it just stuff we desire? Is it... Is it things we think might be good? Is it because, hey, I have to eat tomorrow, so I have to do this? Or, you know, do we make up our own plans? Or are we actually seeking God's plans? Are we praying, Father God, what do you want for my life? Father God, what should I be doing? Think about that. How do we plan out our day? Is it through prayer or is it through what we think is necessity, right? And where do we turn when things get bad? The obvious answer would be like, I turn to God. Right? That would be the obvious answer. Like, I turn to God, I start praying, and I just trust Him with it. 
Or do we try to start fixing stuff immediately? We pray that God will make that work. And we keep trying to fix it and hope God fix, will let what we're doing work. Or do we stop and we say, Father God, I don't know what's going on here. Your will be done. Show me what to do in this. Lord, I don't know. But oftentimes we just make a bigger mess of things and then we finally say, Father God, uh, why is this getting worse? I'm doing what I think's right. Right? And, uh, the last question I'm going to ask before I share this story with you is, uh, if you're being honest with yourself, are you a part of God's plan or are you a hindrance to it? It's a good question to ask yourself. It's a question I've been asking myself for months. Am I part of His plan or am I a hindrance to His plan? Would God tell me, Eddie, get behind me, Satan? Or would He say, well done. You're doing well. Keep it up. Right? Because that's what I want. And, uh, has anybody here ever heard of the art exhibit? It's a little robotic arm called Can't Help Myself. Anybody ever heard of that? i seen this about a, well, I heard of it on the radio about a year ago. Maybe longer, I don't know. And it's this robot that, uh, was developed by these, these, uh, Chinese engineers, whatever. They make all these artists, art exhibits. They're very controversial people. And this, this art exhibit was in the Guggenheim Museum. And, uh, I heard them talk about it on the radio. And on the radio, they said that it was a TikTok sensation that was going around all over. And it's this robot that had a shovel designed on it to scrape hydraulic fluid back into itself because it was designed to hemorrhage hydraulic fluid out. And this robot, like what they use on assembly lines, would have to drag the the uh, hydraulic fluid back into itself, and eventually it ran out of hydraulic fluid and it died. And they were talking about how that's a great uh, symbolism of life that that we're always trying to hold ourselves together and in, in the end we're just going to die, right? And I thought that... I didn't think about the spiritual side of it in the moment. My thought process was mechanically that made no sense, right? Because that's the way my mind works. Well, that can't be possible. Hydraulic systems have to be sealed. There's a lot of things that have to happen with hydraulic systems. So I'm thinking like this doesn't even make sense. But it's a, it was, I guess, on TikTok. Oddly enough, I don't have TikTok. Probably hard to believe, but... On TikTok, that was the thing. Everybody was talking about it. It was touching the whole world. But but the thought process of this robot really stuck in my head, so I had to start looking into it, right? And I start looking into the, the story, the true story behind that robot. But there was all kinds of people all over the country who were just emotionally attached to this robotic thing because they felt like it represented their lives. That here I am doing everything to try to just keep myself going every day I end up just falling apart. Things aren't working, right? But my mind's thinking like, that doesn't even make sense because the hydraulic fluid would be sealed and it would never ooze out and there would never be a problem because if it doesn't, there'd be air in the system and then air in the system wouldn't work right. Well, these people actually designed this program, this, uh, this robotic arm. They built the robotic arm. It had a completely sealed hydraulic system like it would need. It operated perfectly the way it should work. It was designed to do exactly what it was supposed to do. 
These people made it as a political statement, right? The red stuff that was coming out of it was supposed to symbolize blood. It was not supposed to symbolize hydraulic fluid. It wasn't hydraulic fluid. It was water with dye in it, right? And they made this little robotic arm to where it would do like these little dance moves at the beginning and it would go down and it would scrape the water back and people just found it and all. These people used it for a political statement to, to talk about border control. And uh, I don't... I don't understand the exact statement. I don't really care about their statement. But as I was reading this, I realized that so many people had an emotional attachment to something that didn't even represent what they were, they thought they were, right? They didn't have an understanding of what was going on with this robot. But this robot had 32 program movements and they would dance and they'd look cool. And it was, it was created in 2016, put on display. And they would sit there and do it, and people would go there and they'd just watch this thing for hours in movement. And everybody had a different idea of what they thought was going on with that robot, why they designed it and what was going on. And this robot would sit there and it would do it for 24 hours a day. It would go nonstop, always pulling this water. And it had sensors. When the water got outside of it, it would just go back and it'd draw it in. And, and uh, in 2019, as you would imagine, it's a mechanical... Uh, piece of machinery and a machinery that that operates over and over and over and over and over eventually will wear out, especially without maintenance, right? So in 2019, the thing starts slowing down more and more. And people thought it was comical at first whenever they saw the dance moves and everything going on with it. But, but at the end, as it was slowing down and it just looked like it was falling apart, that's when everybody got emotional. They started saying, what is going on with this thing? This is, this is no longer, it's kind of sad to see. Right? So the people who had seen it before come back and they're like, this thing's not going to, it's not going to make it. And people were crushed when that thing shut down in 2019. It locked up, couldn't work anymore. It worked tirelessly for three years trying to keep that water in place. And people were like, man, that's it. It was designed to fail. And uh, it was designed to work until it couldn't anymore. But most people still thought it was because it was trying to save itself, but it wasn't. It didn't have to save itself. It was created very well for a purpose. And the purpose wasn't to keep that water in. The purpose was to get a message out to people. Right? That was the purpose of that whole thing. It was programmed to do a group of actions that would have essentially cause its demise. It was programmed with 32 programs, different things programmed in it, to eventually fail. It was programmed to fail. And I've thought about that thing for a long time and I've prayed about it and I, I have that saved on my phone. I go back and I read about it, I look at it, I watch it and I've done it for over a year. And I'm just like, Lord, what are you trying to show me in this? And last night I was praying and it hit me. We were created for a purpose. We were created to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We were created to be a part of God's perfect will. We were created with a purpose. But we've been programmed to fail. 
We've been programmed to do things our way. We've been programmed to just pay attention to everything around us and try to keep it in control and, and, and keep things the way we want it to be. And we were programmed improperly. And I think, what if that robotic arm would have just stopped about a day or two into it and said, this ain't feasible. I can't make this work. There's no way I can do this without failing. You guys are going to have to give me some help. You're going to have to change my program. This ain't going to work. Guess what? It would have lasted a lot longer. It wouldn't have kept doing the same mundane task until it finally died. And the same thing's got to happen to us. We've got to look at the one who created us and say, Lord, I know you created me something different than what I'm programmed to do here. Something's got to change. I want to be a part of your will. Right? And I'm going to pray. And uh, some of you guys, I know we need that reprogramming. We have a relationship with the Creator. We're just not a part of His will. When Peter messed up, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He didn't say, get behind me, Satan, and get away from me. He was telling him, get your ways away from me. Change your way. Be a part of what I'm doing. Stop being a hindrance to my plan. Because Peter still belonged to Jesus. We know that because when he comes back, one of the first people he really wanted to talk to was Jesus, or Peter. They had great interactions. He loved Peter. And Jesus loves us. Right? We may not be a part of His plan a lot of times. We may be in His way, but He's not getting rid of us. He's saying, hey, stop being a hindrance of it. Be a part of what I'm doing. My will be done. Right? And what a beautiful story His will be done. What if Peter would have been successful and he was able to stop Jesus from going on that cross and dying for our sins? Where would we be? Thankfully, Peter may not have been a part of God's perfect plan at that moment. But God's plan is going to come through no matter what. His will is that we'll be a part of it. That's what uh, Tony Evans said. God's plan is unconditional, but His will is conditional. His plan is going to happen with or without you, but His will is, is that you'd be a part of it. It's up to you to be a part of it. I'm going to pray, and if you don't know the Lord is your Savior, today's the day you change that. And if you've not been living a life that puts God's will first, I'm going to pray that too. And then Ryan's going to lead us in worship. And if you need prayer, come on up and we will pray over you. If you just got to come to... If you just need to sit there and talk to Jesus, sit there and talk to Jesus. But but I'm gonna I'm gonna close on a word of prayer here. So Father God, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that your plan is better than ours. God, that your will is actually for our good, Lord. It may not look the way we want it to look at times, Lord, and it may it may be ugly, God, to us by, by human standards, Lord, but in the end, Your will is so beautiful and it's so good for us. And Your will is to bless us, to be with You, Lord, to be a part of what You're doing, Lord, and to have complete fellowship with You, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, if anybody in here 
has not had the ability, Lord, to accept You as their Lord and Savior, Lord, knowing that You died on a cross for our sins, that You went to hell to pay the price for all of our wrongdoings, Lord, and that the moment that we accept You, Lord, those things are paid for. We can release them to You, Lord. If they don't know, Father God, that You rose from the dead, giving us promise of eternal life with You, Lord, that we can live with You forever. God, if anybody here does not know these things and have not received it, Father God, I pray You would just speak to their heart, Father God, that they can confess You as their Savior today, Lord, that they can be forever changed, Father God, and have eternity with You, a promise that comes from only You, Father God. And Father God, I pray for the rest of them, Lord, myself included, Lord, that, that God, we would humble ourselves, We would pray to You and we would seek You, Father God. And we would turn from our ways, Lord. And we'd be willing to receive Your will in our lives, Lord. We'd be willing to to allow You to make our plans. We'd be willing to be a part of what You're doing, Lord. And we would spend our days seeking out the will of our Father in our lives, Lord. Help us, Lord, to live for You and not for ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Ryan worships, uh, if you need prayer, we'll be up here. you to know that we know in this church that that the enemy is attacking people daily. Every single day there are enemy attacks. So I don't want you to think that we don't notice it. We know God is is noticing it also. The enemy is always going to attack. And we can sit back and say things are going the way they are because the enemy won't let up. Or we can stop and say, Lord, help me through this. Lord, I need You. Lord, show me what's going on here. Right? We can be distracted by what the enemy's doing, or we can humble ourselves and take it to the Lord. Right? God doesn't allow things to happen for our bad. He allows things to happen for our good. And we got to figure out why they're happening. Right? We have to humble ourselves. And I think, when I think at, about that, I, I can't help myself robot. Right? It, uh, I think people associated so much with that robot, not because they felt like they just couldn't hold all their hydraulic fluid in. I think it's actually the great deception. Right? They didn't have a clue what that robot was doing. I think we associate with something like that because we get stuck in the mundane task. We get stuck in doing things over and over and over and they're not working. It will not work. And we can call it what we want. We could say he's trying to save himself or we're trying to, or we could say well, he was designed to fail or we can say anything we want to. We can call it what we want. But the truth is, 
It's not what we were created to do. It's just what we were programmed to do. We were created for a relationship with Jesus Christ. We were created to live a life for Him. We were created to be a part of His plan. We can call it what we want, why we do the things we do, but truth is, He just wants us. And He wants us to be a part of what He's doing. Right? So I'm going to close this in prayer. Don't leave here until the Lord releases you. Spend time with Him. If you have questions or you need help with anything, don't hesitate to contact us. Maybe you're thinking like, ah, I'm not going to talk to Eddie. Guess what? Pastor Chad loves to meet with people. Pastor Jeremiah loves to meet with people. Keeve will meet with you. Jason will meet with you. You know what? Anybody in this room will meet with you. I promise you. Don't try to go through things alone. Right? Let's get better with this prayer thing, right? So, Father God, I thank You for who You are, Lord. I thank You for the blessing of these these people, Lord, of our entire church body, God. You've blessed us with such amazing people, Lord. You do such a great work here, Lord, and I am grateful for that, and I'm grateful for the people, and I'm grateful for You, Lord. And Father God, as we go throughout today, tomorrow, Lord, the rest of our week, the rest of this year, Lord, and the rest of our time with You, Lord. I pray You would help us to focus more on You. You would help us to turn over our will, Lord, and help us be a part of what You're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you all.